0: I became a pastor at the age of 22, and I'll never forget the very first day on the job. I got a phone call from uh, the treasurer of the church. The treasurer is the person who handles all the money, and uh, she called and she said, My name's Libby, and I would like to meet with you. And uh, so uh, she came to my office and I figured it was a really good deal to probably go visit with her because she wrote my paycheck. And uh, like you want to get to know those people well. And uh, I figured she was going to come. She was retired. And I figured she was going to come and encourage me like some other women earlier that morning had done. They had brought me some cookies, they'd brought me cards, uh, they knew I was young, uh, first day on the job as a pastor, and they were going to lift me up, and I just assumed that Libby was going to do the same thing. I was wrong, okay? That did not happen. She walked into my office, she did not greet me, she sat down on my chair, and this is what she said. She said, I was here before you came, and I'll be here after you leave, so don't change anything in the meantime. And then she went on to say this. She said, your trial sermon stunk. And I think we pay you more than what you're worth. And uh, I don't think you'll last very long anyway. And she st- got out of the couch. She walked out the door and she left. Welcome, pastor, to your first day. And that was it. Folks, there is a rude, critical old lady in every single church in the world. It's like a spiritual principle. And this is what happens. If you get rid of that one, the evil one will uh, bring two more. Okay? Like, that's just the way it is. Now, today, what I want to talk about is my big fat mouth. And in particular, this issue of criticism because criticism is something we all have a tendency to be a part of. And I'm not talking about like constructive criticism, critique that helps us to actually get better. I'm talking about the type of criticism that is nitpicking and unkind and uninformed and cruel and often belittles other people. Now, Some of you are here right now and you're hearing this like criticism and you're like, thank God, I'm so glad my spouse is here today. Because they really need to hear this. Or some of you are kind of like, I'm going to share this link uh, with my boss because they really need to hear this. And, and the thing is, is that many of you are looking at everyone else around you thinking, oh yeah, I'm not a critical person, but it's those other people that are. I just want to remind you that the title of this series is called My Big Fat Mouth, not Their Big Fat Mouth, okay? It's talking about you and what you do. Because the problem with criticism is this, is that It's very easy to see it in somebody else, but it's very difficult for us to be able to see it in ourselves. It's very hard to look in the mirror and actually find the critical person that's there. And the reason that is, is because many times when we criticize, we're like, well, I'm justified in my criticism because that person is weird. That person is stupid. That person doesn't manage their money very well. And there's a lot to criticize about them. And we'll look at them and we'll go off and criticize on other things like the way that they raise their kids. Or the way that they dress or what they put on their Instagram page or the way that they drive. And there's many things, a plethora of different things that we can find critical of someone else. I mean, it's easy to look at someone when they go on vacation and go, well, why are they going on vacation? They're so much in debt. And we have a tendency to criticize. Does anyone else struggle with criticism or is it just me? Oh, yeah, only a handful You know, some of you are like, oh, yeah, I'm so holy. I'm at church today. Or I stayed home today on the stream because I didn't want to be around those judgmental people in church. Because we have a tendency to find criticism in other people rather than in ourselves. So what I want to do today, I want to look at a a verse of Scripture that is very, very popular, maybe one of the most popular verses, that even if you've never been to church before, that you actually have probably heard of this verse. But I don't just want us to look at that verse, but I actually want us to look at the verse after that verse, because many times I think we overlook it. Now, here's the verse. that's found in Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses uh, 14 and 15. It says this. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, most of us know this verse. We love this verse. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said it. It's the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. But Paul goes on to say this. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Be aware of, what's the next word? Destroying. Destroying. Actually destroying one another. Love one another, but be careful of your words. Be careful with your words. Because if you're constantly critical, if you're constantly cutting people down, if you're constantly harsh with your words, be careful because you actually could destroy another person. So let me ask you this morning, for those of you who are married, how are your words with your spouse? Are they critical words? Are they cutting down the uh, ability, the potential for you to have intimacy in your relationship? Are you critical with your words when it comes to your kids? Have you kind of built up a wall with your kids because of the words That you use with other people. Are your words critical? So much so that when you're at work and you're talking about Christ or you're talking about inviting people to come to church, no one ever wants to listen to you because you're so critical everywhere else in the workplace. And there's just criticism that comes out everywhere in everything that you say. Now, here's what I need you to understand this morning. And it's very important. You have no idea what a single word of criticism can do to actually pierce a person so much so that it stuck with them for the rest of their life. And on the other side, you have no idea what one single word of encouragement can do to another person that God can bless and build them up for the rest of their lives. Because there are words that we use all the time, but there are power in our words. There's power in your words. So here's a couple of scripture that talks about the importance of power in words. The first one's in Proverbs 12, 18, and it says this. Some people make cutting remarks, but the word of the wise bring, what's the next word? Healing. Healing. Wise words actually bring healing, to another person. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful to building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Well, that first day of work was difficult because Lib came in and she lit into me. And I started thinking to myself as a 22-year-old, am I really going to be cut out for this pastor thing? Well, the next day, a different person came in, uh, another church leader, a guy by the name of John. Now, his wife was the secretary of the church, and she overheard everything that Libby had said because my door was super thin, and Libby was very loud. And she did not care about letting me know that she thought my trial sermon stunk, that you know... There was no way that I was worth the amount of money that they were paying, and I wouldn't last anyway. And so John called me and said, I'd like to meet with you. And I thought, oh, great, one more person. You know, it's day two, and I'm already getting two critical people. But when John walked in, he reached out, he shook my hand, he sat down on the same couch, and then he said this, I'll never forget it. He goes, I heard what Libby said, ignore her, we all do. And I was like, oh. And he said, yeah. He said, I was on the search team to bring you to this church. We believe in you. We're for you. We are not going to walk away from you. We are always in your corner, Chris, no matter what. And yeah, you're young and you're going to make mistakes and we get that, but we are always going to be for you. And he just kept encouraging and encouraging and encouraging. I just want to let you know, you have no idea what one word of criticism can do to a person for a lifetime. And you have no idea what one person uh, what one word of encouragement a person can give you. The reason I'm standing here today, I'm telling you folks, is because of John's words, because of other words of leaders in that small little country church who took a chance on a kid who had no experience whatsoever and said, we are for you, we are with you, and you have no idea what your words do to the people around you. You see, the reality is on on that first day of being a pastor, Lib was a life taker, and what John was, was a life giver. Scripture says this, it says words can bring death or life. Words have the power of bringing life, but they also have the power of bringing death. So let me ask you right now, this is just the person that's sitting in your chair or for those of you that are on the stream, where you're at right now. If we were taking inventory of your words over the past 24 hours, over the past week, over the past month, what would your words be like? Would they be life-giving or would they be life-defeating? Are they giving life or are they Giving death. Now, for the rest of our time, what I simply want to do is ask you a question. It's a very easy question, but it's a challenging question, and it's this. What type of person do you want to be? What type of person do you want to be? And let me give you a couple of choices this morning, and uh, here's the first one. It's your first fill-in, and it is this. Do you want to be a fault finder? That's one of the choices you have today. Do you want to be a fault finder? Quite honestly, folks, most people are fault finders. Because of our sin nature, because of who we are, it's very easy for us to look at anyone and everyone and find fault rather to find what's right. For example, you can look at a person that you work with, a co-worker. They're a good person. And you can look at them and you can pick them apart. I don't like the way they walk. I don't like the way they talk. I don't like the way they chew. I don't like the way they tell jokes. I don't like the way that they run meetings. This is the dumbest place that I've ever worked at before. Spouses can be great fault finders of one another. I'll never forget this. I was with a, uh, a couple, Jen and I were with this couple, and the woman was there. And the husband was there, and we're eating, and all of a sudden, uh, the wife looks at the husband and says, I don't like the way that you breathe. <laughs> and I just kind of sat there, and she's like, he breathes way too loud. He just breathes way... We're going to criticize the way people breathe? Really? Or how about social media? Uh, I bet this has happened to some of you before. Boy, look at them. They act like they have it all together. And look at her body. She's showing her body off. Well, she says she's a Christian underneath this, but I bet she's not a Christian because if she was a Christian, she wouldn't be doing that, looking like that. Well, I'm not being judgmental, but I'm just saying. (laughs) Or can you believe the way that they raise their kids? I mean, if they continue to raise their kids like this, they might as well just drive to Pendleton Reformatory right now and drop them off. Because they're out of control. Now, why do we do this? Why do we find out ways to point fault in other people? Well, this isn't in your notes, but I'm just going to give it to you very rapid fire style. And here's the reason why we do this. First of all, because of our pride. We're prideful. We just think we're better than other people. We know what's best. The next thing is that uh, we're insecure. Have you ever noticed this? The people that you tend to criticize are the ones that have weaknesses that are very similar to your own. You don't criticize other people that, like, have it together. You criticize the people that are very similar to your own. And then finally, who do we tend to criticize? We tend to criticize because we don't understand. We look at things from a distance, and then all of a sudden we make a judgment on that. For example, I'll give one on my own. Before Jennifer and I had kids, whenever I would see uh, parents in grocery stores with two-year-olds that were out of control, I was like, they are the worst parents in the world. Like, when I become a parent of a two-year-old, I'm going to have discipline, and they're going to be having it together. And the reason I didn't understand that is because I didn't have a two-year-old, and I was looking at it from a distance. But once I realized that when you go into a grocery store, you cannot, you know, negotiate with terrorists. Because that's what a two-year-old is. When they want their way, they want their way, and there's not too much you can do about it. And you can act like, oh, I'm a disciplined parent. I'm telling you, I gave in all the time. I would be like, just shut up. Don't embarrass me. What do you want? Candy, a car, a house. What is it? You know, and you just kind of cave that way. You know, many times we criticize people because we think it makes us look better And it makes us look smarter. But every time you criticize people, this is what I want you to know. What it does is it makes you look insecure, and it makes you look mean-spirited. It makes you look insecure, and it makes you look mean-spirited. Now, let me ask you this question. Have you ever had a critical person that you wanted to be like? Have you ever met another critical person that you're like, oh man, I just can't wait to be like them. woo! I just love to be critical like they are. I've never wanted to be like another critical person. In fact, I don't even want to be around them. The problem is that sometimes I wake up in the morning and I look in the mirror and I see that person and that person is me and I have a tendency to Be very critical about many different things, and I don't like that about myself, and I'm trying my hardest to wake up in the morning, and when I look in the mirror, do not be a critical person today, Chris. Be a person who builds other people up. I'm trying, but it's a battle. So let me ask you this morning, do you want to be a fault finder, or let me give you a second option that you can consider, and it's this, a hope dealer a hope dealer. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Paul, again, the guy who wrote close to half the New Testament and one of Jesus' closest friends said this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Why? So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, Paul was such a man of hope. And he gave hope with his words. He gave hope with his writing. He was just constantly reaching out, speaking hope. He said, I'm not going to be a person who tears other people down. I'm going to be the kind of person who builds other people up. And in saying that, the question we have to ask is, well, where did he learn that from? Where did he learn it from? Well, he learned it, from the one who is full of hope, who constantly gives hope, and that is the hope of the world, Jesus Christ himself. Now, Jesus understood how important hope was because when Jesus came to earth, he found a group of people called Pharisees who were fault finders. They were religious leaders who were always finding fault in everyone else. And Jesus, on the other hand, was a hope dealer. There's a story that's told in which one day uh, there was a group of these Pharisees who bring a woman who was caught in adultery in front of the entire town. And uh, they not only uh, say, hey, the law says that we are to stone this woman. That's what the law said. But as they got their stones ready to go, they were critical of many things in her life. And as Jesus is listening to all of this, he walks up in between the woman and these Pharisees, and the scripture says that he knelt down and he actually began to start writing in the sand. It's the only place in scripture where we see that Jesus wrote. We don't know what he wrote. Biblical scholars aren't totally sure, but many of them believe that when you look at the rest of the text, That more than likely, he wrote down the sins of the Pharisees because the scripture says that they immediately began to leave from the eldest to the youngest. And as they saw their sin written out, they left. So, what did Jesus do? Jesus walks to this woman who is filled with shame and guilt and he bends down and he looks at her and he says... I do not condemn you. He says, girl, where are all your fault finders? Where are all the people that have put you down? And she looks up and she looks around and she goes, well, they're all gone. And then Jesus turned to her and said, I don't condemn you either, but don't keep doing what you're doing. There's a better way to do life. There's a better way to find hope. Don't live that way anymore. Walk in a different way. Walk in the light. And so folks, what do you want to be? Do you want to be a fault finder like the Pharisees, or do you want to be a hope dealer like Jesus? Well, as you can imagine, uh, that was the first time that Libby came into my office was not the last time. When people are critical, they have a tendency to come back to tell you about more things that are wrong with your life. And for two years, uh, she regularly would come. She was like a thorn in my flesh. But then the day came that there was redemption. We did an audit of all of her financial, and she had embezzled thousands and thousands of dollars. And in the midst of that, I hate to say it, but my first reaction was like, praise the Lord, she's gone, I have found fault in the fault finder, and I was ready to do whatever it took, and luckily, there were older, wiser leaders around me than just myself, and I said, well, what are we going to do? And I was hoping they were like, we're going to press charges, we're going to, and they said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to go listen to her, and just ask her, why did you do this? And so we went to her house, a very government fixed living house. It actually was an apartment. And we walked in and we asked her, immediately tears started coming down her face. And then she shared her story. She said, I was abused by my husband for our entire marriage and my one son at the age of 12 walked up on our barn and they fell and he fell down accidentally and he died and when he died my husband blamed me for not being there and for 40 years of our marriage i walked with that guilt she said then after my husband died one of my sons took over our family farm. And when they did, they ran it into the ground to the point where we had to file bankruptcy and I lost everything. And now I'm on a fixed income and I'm barely making it. And that's why I did what I did. Well, as wise leaders, you can imagine, they said, man, we're so sorry to hear this, but you can no longer be the treasure. And she said, well, I promise I'm going to pay everything back And then they did something that was so powerful. Every single one of them said, we are going to help you pay this back. And they pulled out their checkbooks when they had checks. (laughs) And they wrote out amounts of money that I'm telling you I was overwhelmed by. And all of a sudden, tears started flowing through her face. And after that moment, her life changed in ways that were truly remarkable. They changed because criticism that she had was replaced with grace. And myself and other people started building her up because she had this, but she would come to church every Sunday and she paid, you know, small amounts regularly. And she went from the critical church lady that had a frown all the time to a loving church lady who had a smile on her face. One of the last things she did before uh, she died and went to Jesus was she said, we're going to be able to reach out to nursing homes and state hospitals. And there, she had a horrible voice. She was not a good singer at all. But there was a lady in our church that was an amazing piano player. She had a great voice. She said, let's do a kitchen band. And what they would do is they would get these pots and pans, and they would sing songs, and they'd pound on it. And you always hoped that the lady playing the piano was louder than them because they were horrible. But they would go and people would laugh and they would wear these funny hats and they would do all of this. And what happened to Libby, folks, is that she went from a fault finder to a hope giver in her life. Folks, you have no idea. You literally have no idea what can happen to a person's life when you give one word of encouragement and you build them up. And you have no idea what can happen when you don't do that and you tear them down. So maybe your kids are really, you know, like not neat kids at all. Their, you know, rooms are always a mess. They don't look good at all. You're like, ah, it drives me crazy. But they just have such a good heart. Like they love people. Why don't you use your words to be able to reach out and go, you are such a great kid. I'm so proud of you. You're always like for your friends. I love that about you. Maybe your wife is the most disorganized person there is. There are piles everywhere. It just looks like, ah, what's going on? Clutter, clutter, clutter. But she's a great mom, and like she loves her kids. And you could be able to say, you know what? I I love the way that you care for our children, the way that you build them up, the way that you encourage them. Maybe your husband is not good at mowing the yard at all. Like you have the worst yard in the neighborhood. Well, rather than nitpicking and putting him down on all of that, the next time that he's out there mowing with his black socks and his white tennis shoes, just say, you know what? Actually, you look kind of sexy when you do that. (laughs) And if you'll do that, all of a sudden it will build them up. It will, will encourage them in ways that you can't even imagine. So this week, folks, as you go through your week, words of life, words of life, words of life, words of life, because you have no idea what one word of life God can take and use it to change someone else. You know, uh, several years ago, uh, after uh, Jennifer and I were married, uh, all of a sudden, I don't know why it was, but I started having a very critical spirit towards her. And I had a critical spirit towards the staff that I was working with, and uh, some of the church leaders as well, I guess Lib had kind of wore off on me a little bit. And I remember praying one time and just kind of crying out to God about all the things that were wrong with everybody else, and all of a sudden, God highlighted a scripture verse that Jesus gave when he said, rather than looking at the speck in another person's eye, take care of the log in your own. I felt like God was saying that whenever you look at the speck in other people's eyes, you waste time, Chris. But if you will just deal with the log in your own and become a hope dealer, you can change lives. Because the reality is, folks, God looked down at me and there's so much to criticize in my life. And he looked down on Chris Bunch and he said over and over again, daily, hourly, maybe every minute, Here's my grace. Here's my forgiveness. You messed up again. You don't deserve this, but I'm giving it to you. And from this hope, I've realized that he poured into me that I just don't want to be the kind of person who tears people down. I want to be the kind of person who builds people up. So what do you want to be? It's your choice. Do you want to be a fault finder? who finds fault in everyone, or do you want to be a hope dealer who finds hope in others? I'm telling you folks, I want to lead a church of hope dealers, of people who are regularly giving hope to others and pointing them to the hope of the world himself, the one who knows us best and loves us most, Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your words that remind us that it's very easy for us to criticize other people. And yet, God, you continue to encourage us. I want you to be hope dealers. Help us, God, to be people who aren't critical but who lift up hope. And for those of us who are in this auditorium for those who are on the stream right now, that if you have a tendency to have a critical spirit, that you have a tendency to kind of do that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. that you can tear people down with your words. Maybe right now it's in your marriage. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's with a family member, a coworker, a, a friend. If you're like, you know what, if I had to be honest, there is some criticism in me that I want to change. God, I really do want to change. I want to be different. God, help me to not be a fault finder. Help me to be a hope dealer. I'm going to invite you to do something very courageous, and that is just for this moment, just to raise your hand. Lights are down. No one's looking. Just between you and God, let me pray for you. Father, I pray for each hand that is lifted up to you. Help them to see the power of their words. Help them to realize that their words, God, have the power of life and the power of death. God, help them to have no unwholesome talk to come from their mouths, but to help them to be built up and to encourage the people around them. Loving Father, make every single one of us a hope dealer as we walk through our week. And everywhere we go, God, Help us to point people to the living hope to your son, Jesus himself. I pray this in his name. Amen. You can put your hand down. You know, for some of you, the reality is, is that you've been listening to the ultimate fault finder for way too long. And that's Satan himself. And what he's been telling you regularly is he's been saying, you know, you're not good enough. That thing that you did was too much. You messed up way too much. There's no way that you could ever have a relationship with God. You're just not good enough. And I want you to know that God looks down upon you today, and he says, no, 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 you're worthy of everything because of what my son did for you. I love you because I loved you so much that I sent my one and only son to come from heaven to earth to give his life for you, And to take anything that was criticized of you away and any way that you've been critical of others and the way that you've sinned, to take that away and to give you new life. And three days later, he rose again so that he could show that you are able to connect with the hope of the world. And so today, if you're like, you know what? I need that in my life. I'm, I'm critical enough of myself, and I listen to those recordings regularly. I don't want to do that anymore, God. I want to be able to have your hope in my life. Then today is the day where you would say, I turn to the hope of the world, to Jesus Christ himself, that you give yourself to him. And he says, I'll be with you, and I'll walk with you, and I'll never leave you. And so today, if you're ready to say, I surrender to you, I give my life to you, I want you to be first in my life. I am ready for all of your second chances. Then I'm going to invite you in a prayer. And it's not a prayer that you pray by yourself, but it's one that we pray together in community. And I invite you to simply repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I give my life to you. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit, so I could follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today, I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.